I'm Audra. And I'm Sadie. And we are former English Lit majors and sisters who miss reading and discussing literature with fellow Lit nerds. And we created this podcast to discuss literature fueled by libations. So pick your poison and join us each week to discuss all the queries and views unearthed in great books. And support your local bookstore. Welcome, everybody, to Lit and Libations. Hi, Sadie. Hi, Audra. So we will be discussing Sula by the just amazing, <laughs> like, iconic Toni Morrison. We bow down. She just doesn't. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, she's always been one of my favorites. She's amazing. Uh, so I'm really excited to talk about this book. We will be discussing it in two episodes, but we're not breaking it up. We're just talking yeah. about the so book for two full episodes. full spoiler alert. This episode, we'll be talking about the whole book. But yes. there's so much to talk about, we're still going to take two episodes. But spoiler alert. So if you haven't read it and you don't want to be spoiled, go read the book first because we will be and talking then about listen. the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. Good good, good call. Good reminder. Um, and then let's go ahead and announce what our next book will be. Yes. Um, so that'll be after... We have two episodes, and then we'll start our next book. So, Sadie, if you would, it was your turn, so if you would do the honors. Okay. So, the book that I decided to go to has been on my radar for a while. It was longlisted for the Women's Prize for Fiction, I think, in, like, I think 2020. Um, but the book is Small Pleasures by Claire Chambers. And I just, I have not started this book yet, but I will say I've heard it's incredible, but that the the reviews on the ending are mixed. Like the reaction to the ending yeah. is extremely mixed. So I'm very... I'm really interested. That intrigued me. I know. Like the fact that it puts so many people up in arms about it, I think is going to be make it really interesting. Um, especially because when I, I... And I will read this to our audience, but um, when I read like the premise of the book, I'm like, well, what could happen? Like how could she end this that would make people so pissed? Um, but I will just tell you, this book is about... Basically, like a journalist who, in 1957, she comes across this story of this, um, I think she's Swiss or Swedish woman who claims that her daughter was born, um, was immaculately born from a virgin birth. And so she decides to kind of look into this story, um, find out, you know, is this some kind of miracle or is this bitch crazy? Like what's going on here? And she becomes kind of like entangled in this woman's life and the life of her children and also of like this woman's husband. And it becomes this, she just gets really deeply into this, uh, kind of family's life and it goes from there. And I don't know what happens, but I'm intrigued and I'm excited to read it. I've heard, I've heard really good things, but again, yes, I've heard like the ending is batshit crazy, so I'm I'm excited. Well, I'm excited. I know. Yeah, good, if something good choice. if something absolutely crazy doesn't happen at the end of this book, I'm not gonna lie. I'm gonna be a little disappointed. <laughs> Dude, my phone just dropped. I, I had know. it like perfectly <laughs> positioned for so long because I've also had to have it plugged in, and then out of nowhere, it's just like. Maybe I should put it on this thing, but it makes me feel like you're looking up at me, which is weird, but I'll just put it there. It's okay. okay. I'm just little. I'm just looking up at you. It's fine. I feel this way <laughs> yeah, all the right. time. <laughs> <laughs> um, what else? Oh, what are you drinking? Um, I'm just having some wine. So I opened a bottle um, earlier today for that I used um, for dinner, that I like dinner mm. that I was making. I used wine. And yeah, so I'm just finishing. It's pretty, it's okay. It's pretty good. I don't remember what it was. I got it from like that wine club that I'm a part of. And I think it's just like a stupid wine clubs. <laughs> I think it's just like a <laughs> Portugal blend or something. It's good. It's, it's a good, it's just a red blend. Yeah. Just, okay. There. That's about good. Um, what have you got? Yeah. I mean, some, some, oh, so I made, I made, so I bought this new gin, um, my oh, is it the uh, one you were telling I, me about? The last yeah, episode? it's in this really. I'll post a picture of it. It's called like Whale Gin. It's from California, but it's this really pretty blue bottle. I mean, you know, I really just care about aesthetics. Like my friend yeah. and I went to <laughs> Wendover to go to the outlet down there, the liquor outlet, and we yeah. just basically walked up and down the aisles and looked for like 
the bottles that we found most attractive wine wise. <laughs> um, and I found this one, this gin bottle too. Um, we mostly were looking for any that had horses on them. Mm-hmm. Uh, because we found a couple, it was just kind of this funny thing we were doing. But so I bought it there, but it's really good. So I made a gin and tonic, and then a little bit of um, cucumber syrup with Ooh, it because I like cucumber flavored drinks. Delicious. And it's this whale gin, and I have my really pretty glasses that I got for Christmas, and they have narwhals on them. Oh my god, um, that's so cute! Aren't those cute? That's really cute. Yeah, <laughs> I I love these glasses. So, and I'm like, oh well, it's I mean, they're a whale. Uh, whale gins should sponsor you. Like you even have the appropriate like bar God, I wish. for the drink. I'll I'll see if I can tag them. Yeah, like we'll, <laughs> we'll tag them in this episode and see if they'll, right, see they'll if, give us see a little. If gets, <laughs> see if I get anything out of that. Um, okay, so I'm really really excited to talk about this book. Me too. Um, I really, I read it a long long time ago, but it was so long ago that it was. Like I knew kind of what was going on in the story, but it was it just was all new still, if that makes sense. Like yeah. it was great. Yeah. Um, so for those of you who didn't read it, um, unfortunately, the main character is I would say she's the main character. I mean, it's mostly you could say Sula and Nell, I think, are the main characters, but I really feel like Sula is the main Yeah. Uh, to me, I think she's Sula's she's, the main and, and like her family seems to be the main character too, like of her mother yeah. and uh Eva, like her grandmother, like they're all kind of pretty central. I agree. Sula is like the main one. She seems to be the focus of the story, even if it's not always through her perspective. Yes, that's a good way to put it. Um, And so Sula and Nell are childhood best friends um, and they grew up in this area of town called The Bottom, which I love how the novel even just starts that way. Like so the novel starts with like this area of town called the bottom under construction because this new golf course is being developed of this area that used to be called the bottom. And the funny thing about it is the bottom is this black neighborhood on a hill Mm -hmm. up above a town in like, I think it's like Ohio. Isn't it Ohio? Uh, It's Midwest. I can't remember if it's Ohio or not. And so it's, it's called the bottom, but it's on top and it's like the, you know, it tells the story of how it got its name, which is this white farmer promised freedom and land to his slave if he would keep doing these, keep working, keep being his slave. And then once he did that for a certain time period, the farmer gives him his freedom, but then regrets having to give him land, which is just right off the bat, has no problem giving freedom, mm-hmm. but doesn't want to give up his land, <laughs> like, mm-hmm. even though it's promised. I don't know. It's just has all sorts of things in there right off the bat. And so he ends up giving him this land that's not great. You can't grow on it. Um, And he kind of like tries to trick him basically. Like he says, oh, I was hoping to give you, you know, some of the bottom land. And it's like, it doesn't make sense that the bottom land is actually up top. Anyway, so this black neighborhood spurs up around on this area. And even, but like their little thing is that they get to look down on the white folks yeah. But they're not on great land. And so anyway, Sula and Nell are our childhood best friends. And I, I really do. I I love how this book describes the friendship between these two women. Like yeah. it's kind of hard to read sometimes. So they they have a they go through some trauma together. Like they there's a little boy, um oh, what is his name? <gasps> his name is Chicken uh, Little. Chicken Little. Yeah. Chicken, Chicken Little. Little and I mean, how I read it is it wasn't intentional, but oh. he drowns. New uh, Sula and Nell are playing by a river, and Chicken Little comes, and he, like, they throw him in. Well, well Sula. Yeah. he And he's a little kid, and they yeah. were, like, what, like, 12 years old or something? And they yeah. do that thing that we all did when we were kids. This is how I pictured it anyway. Um, where you grab the little kid's, like, wrist and hands. Yeah, and swing and them around. swing them in a circle, like, spin, and cir- and then, mm-hmm. you know, you get enough momentum sometimes you let go. And they just kind of go flying. Well, in this case, he went flying into the river, and um, they just kind of watch. And, they, like, I mean, this is, this that's the hardest part is, like, they're pretty, they're so scared they don't really understand, but they also are very inactive, which is not okay. But like, 
they just kind of leave and they don't do anything. Um, but they, I mean, I Nell think that's such of, an interesting part of the know. book, though, is the, so the inaction. Hard. Yeah, and it starts with like there's there's the inaction taken when this little boy dies. There's inaction taken when Sula's mom Hannah catches on fire <laughs> and ends up dying that way. And Sula, what like she doesn't cause it. This is it's not her fault, but she doesn't. She just watches. Same think, with like Chicken Little, but it, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's, well, and then, you know, like, they worry that somebody saw, you know, they, is it Shadrach is his name? The, yeah, super interesting character. It kind of starts, he's really the first character we're introduced to, shows Shadrach. He's, he was a World War One veteran. He returns to the bottom after he's been at war and, I mean, just has severe, I don't know. Maybe that's not the right way. He has PTSD. I, not yeah. to make anyone else's like less than he has PTSD, and he invents National Suicide Day. And on this day, he walks through the town and he rings a bell. And he, but it's just such an interesting, like way that he he deals with his trauma. And he lives in a shack by the river by himself. But it's it's his home, and um, uh, Sula goes to it, and he sees her, and he's. He's the only one that sees her. So she has this birthmark. Sula has yeah. a birthmark on her face, which is has a great description. Let me see if I can find it. Well, but, everybody kind of sees it, it differently. Yeah, which is, I love that. And like, um, like Nell sees it as like a rose and it's kind of this beautiful mark on her. Some people think it's like, you know, they give it more of an evil connotation. Um. Let me see if I can find it. But then he thinks it looks, Shadrach thinks it looks like a tadpole. Yeah. Like, yeah. so it, it's, he's interesting. I think, well, I think that's like a whole theme in and of itself of people looking at like the same thing or calling things certain things when they aren't, you know, or just like having different, I don't know. I think like names and um, like, definitions or descriptions of things in this book is just really interesting and important. Um, but yeah, so like Sula and Nell go through this thing. They think Shadrach may have seen him. So, so Sula goes and she's terrified to see, and he says to her always, and that's kind of all he says. And she interprets his words as I know, and I am watching you always. She takes it almost not like Mm -hmm. a threat because he's not like looming, threatening. He's not threatening. No, but like she kind of, she's scared. So she kind of takes it as a threat. And um, Nell, she's she's pretty upset. And then Nell is very calm about it. And they just kind of both agree, like we're just not really going to talk about this again. But then they have to kind of deal with the aftermath sort of in a way, as a community anyway, because, you know, they leave the body in the water and he's found, you know, later by, I think, like a tugboatman, like a, like a fisherman or something, yeah. a white man. Who I'm regrets assuming. who regrets pulling him out Yeah, because now he has to deal with well, it. Well, and the only reason he pulled him out was because of his kid. So he was like, oh, look at these... And then this is such an interesting part because it Tony Morrison really, really gets in the mind of this guy. And it just made me want to throw up. It's so evil um, and so dehumanizing of like him picking up, fishing out basically the body of this poor little boy who's probably what, like four or yeah. five, like seems super small, very little, very young. And all he can think about is like that that boy's community or his parents must have been careless, you know, and he's like annoyed. Mm-hmm. Ugh, they're so careless. They're just like letting their babies drown in rivers. When will they ever be like more than animals? Blah, blah, blah. Like just these awful feel like thoughts. He puts them in like the cooler where he puts the fish and then he gets worried about the smell. So instead he like hangs him off of the boat. So he's half in water, half not just in a sack. And then they take him to, and then he takes him to law enforcement. And then the sheriff's response is, well, why'd you even do this? Why'd you do this? 
Why'd you, right. why, why'd you, why yeah. did you bother? Should have just left his body in the river. And it's just this horrifying exchange. And then it's like, oh, that sheriff puts two and two together and figures out, oh, it must be, he must be from like this community, like community up on the hill. Like that must be where he's from. And they take him and he, they take him to that community to like get his body identified so late that he's virtually like unrecognizable due to the, like the circumstances and how long he was in the water and how long it took them to take care of his body. And, um, yeah, it's a, it's a really, I love how, how Toni Morrison writes because I mean, I don't know. It, it sounds cliche to say, but it's just, she's, so succinct and so powerful. Yeah. Like, so in that description of this, so it's, so like you talked about, he, so basically, so it says that was why Chicken Little was missing for three days and didn't get to the embalmers until the fourth day, by which time he was unrecognizable to almost everybody who once knew him. And even his mother wasn't deep down sure, except that it had just had to be him since nobody could find him. When she saw his clothes lying on the table in the basement of the mortuary, her mouth snapped shut and when she saw his body, her mouth flew wide open again, and it was seven hours before she was able to close it and make the first sound. Yeah. Like, it's just such a, she's, I don't know. I, it's just How like, do you write like that? Well, Because yeah. she doesn't, do, goes and go on and on. I mean, you, you get such a, I mean, and, and obviously, like, I've talked about this before in other books, but, like, once you've, you know, now as a parent, I feel different things when I read stuff like this. Yeah. But it just, it transcribes the deep agony and emotion of this mother without going, without a lot of verbiage about it. You know well, what like I mean? She doesn't like, have to explain to you in two pages worth of text how this mother's feeling. It's almost like you're put there witnessing it firsthand because you don't need to be told like if you were to see an actual mother in that type of anguish you wouldn't need her to tell you what you she yeah. was feeling you would be able to see it and I feel like Toni Morrison she's so uh careful with her words and um very like I think efficient and like you said succinct mm -hmm. that she puts you there in a way that it's like you just know you just know how people are feeling. It's just, I think it is brilliant. Um, but yeah, like, I mean, this situation, <laughs> this story, like, I don't know. We kind of, I was kind of getting into it before we started recording with you. But this book made me feel so, like, ambiguously and, like, wishy-washy about all the characters and what I thought about them. And I think that's like the point is the morality in that situation is so gray. Like nobody is saying it's their fault that it happened, but it's not okay that they just left. But they're not bad people because they left. But it's yes. not okay that they left. It's like, it's just, it's so like, I went back and forth between having like, a lot of anger and then also a lot of empathy for how scary that situation would be. But also like, I don't know it, that, that, that was just, that's a situation that is so difficult for me to like have a solid opinion on because I don't think that they're bad people, but I don't think that because they're 12, they're kids. They don't know what they're doing. But it's also, it's like, well, well how yeah. could you not have done something is crazy. Well, and I think it's interesting because it's almost like these actions that are taken by characters that you could say objectively, that's not, that's not good. That's not good behavior. Mm -hmm. Like, for instance, with Chicken Little dying or like Eva. Um, Eva yeah. Um, so Sula's grandmother, um, what she does, what happens with her son. I mean, she basically kills her own son who's a drug addict. Yeah. There's different things that happen that you could say, okay, objectively that is not good behavior, but there are things that aren't necessarily known in the town. Like people may suspect or some people know, but it's not outward. So they're not judged for those actions that you could say objectively are bad, but then they are judged. Like Sula is 
is judged. Oh, she's treated like a pariah. She's treated like a pariah a lot of ways because of her relationships with men, of not being married, of having sex with men. But she's not, she's judged even more harshly than her mother was. Her mother's like kind of known like for that. Like she just, she had relationships with men and if they were married or single and it wasn't even because she was trying to steal someone's man, she just was having relations, she was having sex with them. Yeah. And it's interesting because it's like, and then, you know, Sula is also judged because of her birthmark. Right. Like she's, she's, she's seen as like that it's a mark of evil and it's just, yeah. and, you know, and then they make a rumor that she slept with a white man and that makes her a pariah. And like even so worse it's, it's, than if she just slept with every married black man in the community, like her mother did. Yeah. The fact that she like yeah. slept with a white man or may have slept with a white man is like the worst betrayal of all that she could have done to the community and, in a way. Yeah, and then also, I mean, she doesn't have a family. She doesn't get married. Sula, she doesn't get married. She doesn't have kids. She's judged for that. She's judged for how she treats her grandmother, Eva, who you could say she's not wrong in how she, like, you know, she puts Eva in a a home. Like, so it's just interesting. The things that the people in the novel are judged for or are ostracized for aren't, like, what I would say are valid reasons And now looking back, like we, well, people are still treated that way. But you know what I mean? It's almost like they are treated poorly for things they shouldn't be treated poorly for. And the things that they do do that you could say objectively are not great. That's not what it is. Like that's not what causes them to be ostracized. So it's just this interesting like look at double standards and hypocrisy and also the duplicity of people and the gray area Mm -hmm. that we all kind of exist in. And like just when you start to think, okay, this is how this character, like Eva, I think Eva's a great, I mm-hmm. love the character I of love Eva. Eva. I love because, Eva. Because, so Eve, Eva is Sula's grandmother, Hannah's mother. She's the eldest daughter of Eva. And her story is just, she, she's, I just love how she's described. She's missing one leg. You never really find out how it happened. <laughs> like they suggest that she like had her leg run over by a train to collect insurance so that she could take care of her children because her husband, boy, boy leaves her, abandons her. She has, she has nothing, nothing, but she has children to take care of and does whatever she can to take care of them. And she does. And then she ends up boarding a boarding house. And she, even though she has one leg, she always is dressed impeccably. Her leg that she has always has a really nice shoe on it. And Mm -hmm. she has lots of male suitors and, and it's interesting, I I don't know, I think the descriptions of motherhood and the t- what it f- taught, like what this brings up about motherhood, I think is really interesting in this novel. And then also the f- like friendships, especially between women. Yeah. Like those are the two big things. I took more, obviously, not obviously, but I took more about the friendship element. I remember from the first time I read this and this one, more of the motherhood stuff connected with me. But yeah. Yeah, Those are still sense. the two big things that stick that stick out to me in this novel. But um, yeah, I mean, Eva's not necessarily great, you know, in a lot of ways. But but also she, I don't know, just in that idea of what does it mean to be a mother and how do you show love to your children and what that means to different people. And yeah, um, I loved in um, chapter 1923, um, it's around like 60... 70 pages in or something there's a really good just like conversation about that between hannah and eva yes i loved this part this this part is so good where she she asks her mama did you ever love us and she she says it kind of like casually sing songy but it's also like it's a serious question and um and she's like did you love me when i was little and Eva just kind of like, that's like an evil question. Like, like I'm sure I loved you yeah. when you were little. Why would you ask me that question? And she doesn't mean anything yeah. about it. She just kind of like wants to know. And at this point, Hannah is a mother. So like she also understands motherhood in a way. And um, in her well, own way. Well, and she herself, anyway. her daughter has heard Hannah say, I love her, but I don't like her yeah. about Sula, which has caused Sula's own... I mean, that has a major effect on Sula, which we can get into. But yeah, it is. It's yeah. in, like, I, this, I really, this passage really struck me. And I think because I, 
you, I see both sides of it. Like, yeah, I really do. Well, I see I, Eva's I, hurt and I see Hannah's hurt. Yeah. I love like the part where she was like, you know, she doesn't baby Hannah at all. She's kind of like making fun of her in a way, you know, of like her trying to be like, oh, like mama, that's not what I meant. That's not what I meant. And she was like, oh, mama, you know, you sit in here. She says, you sit in here with your healthy ass self and ask me, did I love you? Then big old eyes in your head would have been two holes full of maggots if I hadn't. And basically saying like, well, you survived. Therefore, I loved you. End of story. End of conversation. I don't have time to deal with this. And it's kind of true. You know, she's like, didn't you ever play with us? Like love on us, you know, not just like the fact that we lived. And she talks about what it was like in 1895 when she was having children and just all of the stuff that she has to deal with and all of like the the violence and danger. And I mean, like this is like from 1920, the 1920s, it's still very dangerous and still very scary to be a black person in America. Like, but even just this comparison of like 1895 to 1923 or 1926 or whatever. Um, and then she, you know, she's talking about all the stuff that she had to worry about of like keeping these kids alive and, keeping them healthy and around and just, you know, basically saying like you're thick for thinking that like I didn't love on you enough or something. But then I think Hannah asks such an important and good question of like, well, what about Plum? Like Plum, you know, came back from war very messed up, which I think this um, book does a, a lot, even though it is very focused on the female characters. I think that there is so much there about, um, what these men have had to deal with and go through as well, like especially related to the war and the trauma from that. We see that with Shadrach. We see that with Plum. Plum comes back Mm -hmm. and he, you know, the best way he can cope really is with drugs. And, you know, it's sad. Yeah, the scene with Plum is... It's so sad. It's so sad. I my f- job was on the floor. Um it's he basically, you know, is in so much pain emotionally and then clearly like ha- someone introduces him to these drugs and for the time being while he's high, that pain is gone and that's something that is a sickness and like I have so much sympathy and empathy for that. And I feel for Plum. And I think like Eva, you know, she lights him on fire in the middle of his high. Um, After cradling him, you know, like it's so violent, but also like in her mind, she was just saving him. Oh, it's sad. I, I love this. No, it's really sad. It talks about how Eva gets up from bed. So it says, so late one night in 1921, Eva got up from her bed and put on her clothes. And then it talks about her having to get herself down the stairs with her crutches. And it, it actually goes on for quite a while about the like physicality of that Mm -hmm. and how challenging it is for her. And then she goes into his room and he like kind of wakes up, but not really because he's, he's high and passed out. And then how she's rocking him, you know, this grown man who's also her child. Um, anyway, and she has like this memory of the time that he was in the tub and she leaned over him and he reached up and dripped water onto her and laughed and she was angry, but not really and laughed with him too. And like, it's that, it's that emotion, like, yeah, you know, just that, that doubleness of all of it. And like, you know, he, he keeps telling her like, why are you crying? And I'm fine. And She's like, I am going to go back to bed, but it's like, she knows, I don't know. Like there's no justification for anything, but there is. That's what this, this book to me is like, everything is justified and nothing is justified. It's just, it's this doubleness. And I think, I think that's a big, that's a theme I take out of the book and these actions. And also I think that's kind of why there's this, um, Sula and Nell, like they're, yeah, they're kind of a representation of it and how that, coexists like I think that's what their friendship kind of represents is this like doubleness 
I don't know if I'm making any sense. No, but I think like they're it's, supposed it's to such kind a hard, of, yeah. I think they're supposed to kind of mirror each other, but also be opposite, like in a lot of ways, like in the sense that, like Nell is supposed to be way more in tune with like convention and what's expected of her and yes. um, is kind of with it in a way. Um, she has like, the traditional route of like getting married and having kids that doesn't yeah, end stays up in the bottom really for her, you know? Yeah. She stays where she's supposed to be. She just kind of keeps going with like exactly what people expected of her. And then Sula, you know, she was raised a lot differently. She was raised only by women. And, um, you know, Eva is very unconventional in her ways and and hannah was too hannah was very kind of flippant and casual about her sex life and sula was um was around that a lot and so she kind of became casual about sex and and like like it's not supposed to be a big deal kind of a situation whereas like nell i think has like more traditional views on that and then you know, you know, Sula just kind of like she just does kind of what she wants when she wants, and um, she she kind of describes herself at one point of like having this like fire in her, and Eva tells her that it's like hellfire, that it's like bad, and she says no, it's my fire, and like nobody's gonna put it out, and the thing with that is like that's good and that's great, but. Sula also makes decisions in adulthood that because of kind of like her flippantness about things like relationships and sex sometimes, she ends up hurting the things that she cares the most about. And you see that in her relationship with Nell. You know, like after Chicken Little and dealing with that, they do grow apart. And then, you know, Sula leaves for 10 years. And then when she comes back... She has sex with Nell's husband. And yeah, Jude. Jude. Yeah, Jude. And Nell's family completely falls apart. He leaves. He just ups and leaves. He leaves her. And then he, you know, once he realizes that Sula is not really like into him at all, it was just casual, he leaves Detroit. He leaves for Detroit. He completely leaves the state and abandons the family and abandons the whole situation he just kind of gets off scot-free and just leaves and it is so like sad because it's it's again like like you said it was it's kind of this like double-faced side of everything's where it's like no we shouldn't be so like crazy about like conformity and convention all the time but also being super casual about it maybe is not the answer as well because Sula's casual nature about it ends up hurting the person that like the one person that she truly like truly loves and who truly loves her back and it and then they further further kind of dissolve as friends and that's really sad to watch happen yeah and then like the the other side of that coin with it is it's like you wouldn't blame Nell for feeling the way she feels. I mean, her best friend sleeps with her husband Mm -hmm. and then her husband leaves her and her family, but then, so their friendship is gone. And, and when they, when Sula gets really sick as she gets older and Nell goes to visit her and it's like, you can tell this whole time Sula's like, but I didn't want to end our friendship. I didn't. You're the one who took it so seriously. Yeah, I didn't do anything. Like she doesn't. It. it it's there. It's like they're both looking at the same thing from these different panes of glass, mm-hmm. and it's like I. I don't know. And, and and Nell doesn't really get it until then. After I mean, I think she does get it, but it, it, the grief doesn't hit her about losing her friendship with Sula until after Sula dies, and then it's like I mean, the last part of the book is just. It, really powerful and she she has like a her Shadrach and Nell like see each other and and then she like whispers Sula gazing at the top of trees and 
and it said leaves stirred, mud shifted. There was the smell of overripe green things. A softball of fur broke and scattered like dandelion spores in the breeze. All that time, all that time, I thought I was missing Jude. And the loss pressed down on her chest and came up into her throat. We was girls together, she cried, as though explaining something. Oh, Lord, Sula, she cried. Girl, 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 girl. It was a fine cry, loud and long, but it had no bottom, and it had no top, just circles and circles of sorrow. Yeah. And it's, like, sorrow about all that that they had together and then lost, and, yeah. But then you get why. Like, I don't, who would blame either one of them, really, for, for being the way they did? And, and Sula has her own heartache. Like, she, her lover Ajax, she kind of falls mm-hmm. in love with him. Mm-hmm. And... As soon as she starts to fall in love with him, he's like, oh, shit, she's falling in love with me. <laughs> like, I got to so, get out of this. Well, and that, yeah, that's like, it. That's I don't a, mean to laugh, but it's like, but it's it's true. just so. But it's also like that's great. Another great example, though, of double standards in this book is that Ajax is what, like 16 years older or something than them. And she he was yeah. like her sexual awakening. Right. Like. They were teenagers walking past him and he makes some comment about like calling them like pig meat or something. And they talk about how like as that he was known at this like young age of like being in his 20s or something of making like everything sound dirty. Like he had such a foul mouth, but he didn't say anything particularly foul, you know, but he made everything sound like dirtier than it was. And they talk like I think he is talked about of like how he just kind of like has this like overtly sexual energy coming off of him. And I'm sure it did sleep around a lot. I can't remember if that's talked about in the book or not. But, you know, he was Sula's sexual awakening. And then as she's an adult, she basically has an opportunity to go for it. And she does. And she realizes that she like kind of has feelings for this person or she becomes at least like entangled or attached to him and yeah um and he you know at the same time it's it's like she's literally being like demonized by the community as like the epitome of evil you know and like that's literal that's not me just like mincing words they're literally like scattering salt on their doorways to like keep her evilness out of their house you know like it's it's reaching a height of her being labeled a pariah and evil by the community for her sexual nature and yet like ajax is just kind of like able to go about life in the same way with like very few repercussions or judgments or conversations it's, you know, it's, it's like the fact isn't that Sula's sexual. It's a, that's a problem for people. It's the fact that she's female and sexual. Yes. Yes. The fact that she like has that kind of agency and control and also like desire as a man would is a problem, you know, but then it, but then it is also kind of like a question because her mother was sexual and they all loved her. It was like, Maybe some women, like, resented her and stuff, but, like, the men, like, loved her and defended her, and um, they're not like that with Sula. So it is just kind of, um, I don't know. There's no there's no easy answers in this book at all. It's... No. It's just kind of... I don't know. It's just... there's Yeah, there's no answers. It's just... This is just kind of their lives, and we as readers don't have a right necessarily to like say what they deserve even or like what should have happened. She she doesn't, she doesn't, I feel like leave you any room for judgment. Like if you're really reading the book and thinking about it, there's no holes that you can insert your own judgment into. Yeah. At least I couldn't find any. Like, I mean, I mean, and I try not to be a judgy person, but I judge. I mean, we all, you know what I mean? And it's especially easy to do for people you don't know. We can judge maybe actions, you know, of like, I hope I would never do that. But at the same time, it's, we can't judge them as people. Like, I think that's the difference of like them being made up of more than just the things that they do and the things that happen to them. 
in a way. Like they're more than that. They're bigger than that. And that's why I think this is such a like a a great kind of practice of empathy and um for me anyway it was a big it was a big kind of test of my empathy of looking at these situations that are objectively wrong maybe you know objectively morally gray and still the only thing that I'm left with ultimately is just like the humanity and the love and the pain that these characters have gone through and like you can't help but care about them and like love them I which which is remarkable to do in under 200 pages. Like, I think this is, like, less than 200 pages. Yeah, it's a whopping 174 pages. That's an incredible But there's feat. so much in it. I know. Which, okay, not not to rag on it again. No, but it's true. But it's interesting that we, the book before this is, what, 500 plus pages. Yeah. And it is obviously trying to tackle... A lot of things and they're very important things and there's definitely a lot to talk about and a lot it brings up and it takes 500 plus pages to do it mm-hmm. in a way that we didn't even really love and this petite little book yeah is just so chock full of like so many like even now I'm like oh we need to talk about this we need to talk about this I want to talk about this like there's so much to talk about with this book and it it there's just so much packed into it and not in a, uh, but like it, I wouldn't even, you know, like, I don't know. You think of like Hemingway who his style is so direct and, um, not fluffy, you know, he's, he's yeah. a newspaper man and like, but it, it's not like that. It's not that it's so petite because she purposely writes it that way. It's just, it's just like, you know, you meet those people who, it seems like everything they say, it there's nothing fluff to it, but it all has a lot of meaning. Like they just see everything for what it is. They don't need mm-hmm. to sit there and talk it all out to then come to the conclusion of the truth. They just know the truth and they just speak it. It's like, yeah, I don't know. That's how sh- that's how some artists appear to me. It's like they don't. They're so succinct, not necessarily because they don't use enough words. They just use all the perfect right amount of words and the perfect words themselves because they just get it. Like, you know, we have to talk stuff out a lot of times. Like it takes me 10 minutes sometimes to talk out what I'm trying to say. And then I get it. I'm like, yes, that's exactly what I mean. And you understand me. And Mm -hmm. she just boom does it. And it's all more brilliant than I could ever figure out a way to describe things or talk about it. I mean, to be fair, like, a lot of that is, uh, like, great discipline as a writer and, like, great practice. Sure. You know, I'm sure yes. it takes her time to to figure it out for herself. But at the same time, it's like, I think the discipline there as a writer is clear in the sense that she's disciplined with how much she's allowing herself to put on the page yeah. to say what she wants to say. And I think that that's like a brilliant choice. And I think it's more difficult. I think in a way it's more difficult to way more difficult to write a book like this about this kind of stuff (laughs) in 170 pages than it is to write a 500 page book of the same thing. Like, I don't, I don't know if you ever experienced this, but like, I kind of felt this way sometimes when I was just in college and I was just like writing a paper of like, if the teacher put a really hard limit of like, this is not to exceed five pages, it was very difficult for me to just write a five page paper when there was so much maybe for me to talk about. Like that was all, that was actually difficult for me actually to like cut my words down enough and to make my points clearer in a more direct and succinct way while still just being like thoughtful without just like, yeah, well, being a know. powerful, yeah. thoughtful per- speaker, writer, art with, but also having brevity is a real challenge. I mean, well, that's it what, it's one of the things and that it, it doesn't yeah. work for everybody. 
Like, sometimes I'll read a book that is small, that is um, about a lot of things, and I think, I wish I'd had more, like, or this was underdeveloped or something. Like, I Mm -hmm. think it's really easy when when you think about a book that's small to think this is underdeveloped. But every single word matters in this book, and that's why it doesn't feel underdeveloped at the end. Like, yes, would I have liked maybe more of even just their relationship and things that they went through outside of, like, the big traumatic things? Sure. But I didn't necessarily need that because the little instances that she does give you are, like, so telling. And, it like, I think it's enough to, like, be able to have me infer things about their relationship based on my own experiences and my own friendships with people that like that complexity of their relationship is kind of fueled by just like human experience that I already have. I think that's, that's such a good point because I think sometimes, you know, we almost look for, you know, like if, if you, if you read about or you experience or know about deep friendships with people, it's almost like you expect there to be this like one thing you can pinpoint to that bonded them together. Right. Mm-hmm. And a lot of, and that can happen. Like you can have, you know, whether it's death or a happy experience, whatever it is you went to, you've known each other for this long, like mm-hmm. whatever you can kind of pinpoint, okay, this is what's bonding this friendship. And I don't think you necessarily, you, I guess you could say, the death of Chicken Little could have been a bonding, but them, though I think that well, I don't either because I think it's part. before that's well, and I think it's like that's already there. They just have this like N- Sula and Nell just ha- they're 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 true friends that love each other and are just yeah. bonded to each other, and it's just like they have been, and it kind of talks about how you know one of them sees the differences in the other, and like you know, Nell's strong where Sula isn't and vice versa. Like they, like there's some explanation given to it, but not in a pandering way. It's, it's not, it's less almost to explain their friendship and more just to like explain them. But I think it's nice that it doesn't give you too many. She doesn't give you too many of like these explanation scenes of like, see what good friends they are. Yeah. See all these experiences they've gone to together. It's like, you don't need that. And that's theirs. That's their friendship. We're outsiders to it. Yeah, right and like, I like that too. It's we, very personal. And and yeah, it's very personal and it's very much like you it, there it's a mystery. You don't need to know it. It doesn't involve you, which well, it, it's interesting like And I think also too is I think that's very true to life. Like there are people that I've been close friends with that I'm not necessarily able to point at a, like a very specific yeah. moment or experience that like yeah. really bonded us. And it can happen really quickly. And like it's just yeah. yeah. Like and sometimes you just meet people that you have an implicit connection with, you know. And I think that that's what ha- is the case with Sula and Nell. I think they have an implicit connection with each other, in their differences, in their similarities, in the the way that they uh, step up to bat for the other person when the other person can't maybe, you know, like little tiny moments, but also just like the moments of just the descriptions of them, like so strongly and fiercely like holding hands, you know, Mm -hmm. like just this, this kind of unspoken, like support support. Yeah. You know, is so powerful because I think that like, I don't know. I think sometimes you don't realize how strong a relationship is until they're there holding your hand. And that's how you know. And it's not necessarily like, maybe it's not literally holding your hand when you're going through something, but like all of a sudden there's sometimes unexplainably there are these moments where you just know you can rely on this person for certain things. Yeah. Like there's not and I think, always yeah. moments where you just know it, it. Like there's not moments you can necessarily directly connect it to, but sometimes you just know that you can, and there's no explanation for it. Yeah, and I think that's part of what I connected with with Sula in her feel. I mean, like again, mm-hmm. I don't. It's easy to see why Nell felt the way Nell felt and kind of ended their friendship what's there to judge about that. But then at the same time, like I get what Sula's saying, like the idea of being vulnerable 
to allow someone to be your support is a really challenging thing to do. It's hard to be that vulnerable to open yourself up to that kind of hurt. And Sula did. And to her, she was betrayed by Nell. Like Nell looked at Sula as betraying her by sleeping with Jude. And Sula was like, you betrayed me by flipping out over that basically and ending our friendship. Like, Mm -hmm. which it's, it's on one hand, it's, I think it's kind of hard to, to see that, but I, I got it. Like, cause that's really hard, you know, and and seeing how, how Sula grew up and her relationships and who she was and who they were to each other and to like be that vulnerable and then to have that person take that support away is, is huge. And also I think like this betrayal of like for Sula, she never slept with Jude because she knew it would hurt Nell. Like, she didn't think about it this way. Like, and I think that's an important thing of, like, the way that Sula views sex and relationships, maybe not the healthiest, but it's also, like, not a big deal. And so I think that when she, you know, loses this friendship because of something that she doesn't think is a big deal, it's kind of a betrayal of, like, but you know me. You know this isn't a big deal to me. Like, you yeah. know that this, yeah. like, didn't mean anything, that I didn't mean to hurt you or that I didn't mean X, Y, Z or whatever. And I think it's kind of, like, no, yeah. a double-edged sword a little bit because, obviously, like, well, she knew Nell and she should have known this would have hurt Nell. But, like, yeah, I mean, it's a betrayal of, like, on both sides. And then it's it's kind of this, you know like timeless question of of like who's really at fault in a way you know because like Sula didn't force Jude to sleep with her you know like oh no like well and like and I, I, mean, I love yeah I mean Jude just does makes- just leave but like I so like he he leaves and he just kind of ex- accepts that it's over but I, um, so it's not like Nell was like necessarily like absolving him of any like yeah kind of participation. But um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's just it, that's such a <laughs> it's just so complicated, which is why I love it because it's so true. It, like this book is just yeah. true. Like it's just oh I love it's true yeah. to itself. I love their interactions. It's true I love to, the conversations yeah. with Nell and Sula about it. Like they like after Sula gets sick, mm-hmm. um, and Nell goes and visits her. So it's it's nineteen forty, mm-hmm. and she says, "You look fine, Sula. You lying, Nellie. I look bad." She gulped the medicine. No, I haven't seen you for a long time, but you look. You don't have to do that, Nellie. It's going to be all right. What ails you? Have they said? Sula licked the corner of her lips. You want to talk about that? Nell smiled slightly at the bluntness she had forgotten. No, no, I don't. But you sure you should be staying up here alone? Nathan comes by, the Dewey sometimes, and Tar Baby. That ain't help, Sula. You need to be with somebody grown, somebody who can... I'd rather be here, Nellie. You know you don't have to be proud with me. Proud? Sula's laughter broke through the phlegm. What are you talking about? I like my own dirt, Nellie. I'm not proud. You sure have forgotten me. Maybe, maybe not, but you a woman and you alone. Um, and she goes on for a little while and then, mm-hmm. um, she, Sula basically says to Nell, like, or Nell says, why I can do it all. Why can't I have it all? And she says, you can't do it all. You a woman and a colored woman at that. You can't act like a man. You can't be walking around all independent, like doing whatever you like, talking about what you want, leaving what you don't. You repeating yourself, how repeating myself. You say I'm a woman and colored. Ain't that the same as being a man? I don't think so. And you wouldn't either if you had children. And it's just, it's interesting. Like their interactions with each other, like again, even that it's like this volley of, they're not hitting points against each other. Cause they're just making these both equally good points. Like, I don't know. It's just, mm-hmm. it's the whole thing with this double coin all the time. It's like, yep, that's right. But this is right. But this is right. But this is right. Like, mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I don't know. It's just, and I love the interactions and how they bring it up. And it's just so, uh, it's a lot of the truths that they bring up with each other are so hard to swallow, but yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know where else I was going with that. I just, I love how she writes their friendship. 
Um, well, and I think, I think too, like, I love how she writes the dissolution of their friendship and how mm-hmm. it's, it's That's not, nice for, point, it's yeah. not for lack of love, you know, like, yes, it's, they do love each other and they, lo- and they know each other. And, um, it's like all these outside causes. It's like, it, it's like not their fault that their friendship's gone. It's like, it's not Sula's fault that their friendship ended, even though you would think it is. And it's not Nell's fault. It's like all these outside influences crept in. It's like yeah. they had this pure, pure thing, which I think is represented in the fact that they're friends since childhood and like the safety and security they found in each other that they didn't necessarily have in their own home. Like even though Nell's home life wasn't maybe as tumultuous. Yeah. Yeah. On the outside, I mean, it still was. We can get into that in the next podcast, like Nell's backstory, which I think is also really interesting with like Helene and yeah. But you know, th- they had this real security with each other, and it's like all the outside, in- you know, issues of of that they're women and they're black and mm-hmm. what happened to their mothers and grandmothers and their grandmother. You know what I mean? Like it's like it just all insidiously made its way into their friendship because how could it not? And that's what ruined it or that's what caused the disillusion. But you don't know that when you're in it. Yeah. But, but even, even with like this, you know, this falling apart that happens, you know, like when Sula's sick, Nell still shows up. Right. And she's still like, you don't need to play games with me. I know you. And it's like this, like, it doesn't matter. Like this, this idea that it doesn't matter how much time has passed that they haven't spoken, that they haven't written or that they've not been friends. This idea that they still just like know each other to like the very like core and mm-hmm. she still shows up for her. She still comes to see her. Is like there's just like a durability to that connection that I found really moving, even though it maybe isn't like a super successful friendship in the end, in the sense that like they're super close and there for each other like every day of their lives. Do you know what I mean? But like, yeah, it's yeah. I think it's not typically how like women's friendships are written about. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. It's a it's it just feels like it feels deeper and it it feels deeper than the relationship that she had with her husband. And it feels deeper than the relationship that she had with um, Ajax or with anybody else. Even like it just feels like such a deep kind of inexplicable love and connection love. And I don't know, I, maybe you would disagree, but I also think there's just this deep like level of respect they have. Like, and I think she writes that really well. I think a lot of times women's friendships are written where it's either all unicorns and puppies Mm -hmm. and, you know, sisterhood of the traveling pants Mm -hmm. or it's cattiness and, behind the back you know what I mean like there's just like it's well like those there are elements of that in this like there's are elements of like betrayal in this but it's not yeah but I don't think there's any elements of cattiness and backstabbing there's and it's not a it's not even like a betrayal of the friendship because she doesn't consider it a betrayal of the friendship it's more it's more a betrayal of that idea of trust and vulnerability and yeah either both of them are not trying to betray the other in that area but that's what happens you know what Sula does to Nell is a betrayal of her vulnerability and trust and what Nell does to Sula she interprets that way like and but there's no like it's a really there's no intention there ever to like hurt the other person or like to betray Mm -hmm. them and I think that's really cool and beautiful and I also like that it's like this like you said I think like respect is the perfect way of viewing it because it's like they have gone through this traumatic thing together and yes it was already while they were super close as friends but it's also this like horrific memory that they share and kind of like the empathy that it takes to know I don't know like it just seems like 
there's this connection that's going to happen when there's only one other person that has the memory of an event that yes. Yes. is going to mm-hmm. affect you for the rest of your life. And even though the Chicken Little in- incident is not like talked about between them, really, it's hinted yeah. at, but it is something that like we know and they know and is always just kind of there. Like, I don't know. Like, yeah, the, under the surface. It's under the surface. Like, that is, like, such a central moment in this book, even though it's not a long section of the book and it's not a yeah. long section of their relationship, but it is something that, like, you can't act, didn't like, didn't happen. And I think that's their kind of, tr- like, I think they treat it the same way. It's like, we don't really talk about it, but we both know. We, we know. Yeah, and I think you can trace back and... and- identify if he wanted to you know kind of what the ripple effects were for both of them and like you know kind of trace certain behaviors or or things back to that incident which is then it's interesting because it's like they're both culpable and it affects them both in different ways and yeah it's it's really it's I mean it's a core moment it's a core moment and a lot of who they are as adults, I think can be traced back to that. And I think that's something we should talk about in the next episode. Cause I think there's so much there. <laughs> there's so much in this I know. book, Audra. <laughs> this is so good. I know Sadie and I, I was talking about it before. Cause we normally, we split things up kind of chronologically, yeah. which makes sense. And it makes sense for most of the novels. But one, I think it's really hard to talk about this without talking about the whole novel. I have a hard enough time doing that as it is. Cause <laughs> I can't just stop reading. And then, and then it's, there's just so much to talk about anyway, like outside of plot wise. I mean, there's so many characters I still want to talk about. There's so many things I, I want to talk about. But yeah, we're going to have to we're definitely need to save it for the next episode. I don't know why we ever worry that we're not going to be able to fill up. <laughs> yeah, an hour later. So it's like, will we be able to fill up two episodes? <laughs> yeah, we can totally handle it. No problem. Um, well, so if you haven't had time, go get Sula and read mm-hmm. it before you listen to either episode mm-hmm. <laughs> um, because it's just so great. It is. I'm, it is really beautiful. Although I think it was it a is nice funny. Um, I think it is funny because last time when I asked you about this book, I was like, Oh, is it going to like kill me? Is it going to like rip my heart out? Like blue. I know I didn't, I didn't like, want to no, like, I don't think so. No, no, it's fine. Yeah. I, I kind of was like, <laughs> I want her to read it. I don't want her to like, no, I don't want to read it. <laughs> no, I love it. And it is different than the bluest eye, but, um, it's yeah if you haven't picked it up like Audra said like here is our full endorsement to go get yeah. this book it is must read yeah I mean and it's there's sad elements to it but I I don't know I I I don't know if I took like if I found it hopeful but I didn't find it depressing like the elements about it that are upsetting yeah. to me aren't necessarily ones that I, it, I, I feel like it just really allowed me to examine just like we've been talking about that it's double and there's this duality and mm-hmm. like it just examined the gray areas and yeah. I didn't necessarily find that depressing, but I didn't find it hopeful either. It just, well, I, I think just a lot. I th- yeah. I I agree. Like I think I'm not, because I'm not very, uh, I think I agree because everything everything that you could maybe label in this book is like uh, horrifying is at right, the or same tragic or, or tragic. Yes, like um, I think at the same time, it's so layered with like the reasons behind it that it's you know. Li- if you've read like the bluest eye, for example, there are things in that book that are like unmentionable, like as far as like the horror of it, <laughs> like, and like, yeah, kind of like that's true. the evil of some of it is like, there's just no, there's no other side of the coin. It's just wrong. No, right? it's true. And, like, I mean, and this I, one is I knew I wanted tragic. to do Toni Morrison. Yeah, and I knew I wanted to do Toni Morrison, and so that's why I picked Sula, because from what I remembered of, like, reading before, it was like, okay, it it didn't make me want to just 
give up. No, <laughs> like, and, on and humanity. it doesn't make me more. I agree. Like, it, there's nothing about this. Like, it. I found this book challenging, but it was challenging in a good way. It's challenging in yeah. a way that I feel like I'm flexing some like muscles in my brain mm-hmm. and in my heart that like I need to have in my life. Like th- these yes. muscles need this to be like, flexed regularly. <laughs> and this is like a really good workout that one should do all the time. And like some books are like the Iron Man where I'm like, who the hell would do this ever? Like this is right. just stupid. You don't need to work out for this. Right. Like, you can have other workout. Like this is not, this is not needed. Nobody needs to no actually one needs do, to this. do this. No, yeah. like not, not necessary. Well, but Sula, like necessary read so definitely go get a copy and please remind everybody Sadie what the next book we will be doing is so if they have to go pick up Sula they can pick our next one up at the same time yes so our next book is going to be Small Pleasures by Claire Chambers um and yeah this is gonna be I think a wild ride I'm interested to see how it goes I'm always interested when it comes to stories about like Immaculate Conception. I just like find it hilarious. So I'm like really excited. Really? To read it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm excited. Like, you know, I grew up Catholic. So I'll like the whole story of Immaculate Conception is, you know, yeah. Part of it's my. It's pretty central, I would say. Part of my whole childhood. <laughs> yeah. It's a, it is pretty central to Christianity. Um, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. So it could be, it could be an interesting discussion. Well, I'm really excited. I'm really excited to talk more about Sula because there's so much that we yeah. didn't get to. So. Again, go pick up a copy, get reading. It's it's just fabulous. Um, and we will talk to you guys next time. So yeah. thank you for listening. Bye.